So again this morning, John read verses 1 through 7. And beginning in verse 4, it is not a particularly pleasant passage, right? It's not rainbows and kittens. It's not for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In fact, it it speaks about certain ones creeping in to the churches. By the way, if you look at it, it's in verse 4. It doesn't say that they will. It says that they are. For there are certain ones, certain men crept in unawares. In other words, there are people in our churches who are here selfishly, who have a desire to take take the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. And we'll talk more about actually defining lasciviousness as we go forward. But here's, here's here's what it is. Using the things of the gospel for selfish advantage and being willing to take advantage of others for your own benefit, which is completely contrary to what the gospel is. The gospel is about being forgiven and being changed so that you're not selfish anymore, so that you actually have a desire to be loving and kind and gracious and recognizing that the Spirit of God alone is able to accomplish this in your life. So he read verses um, 1 through 7, and as I mentioned, starting in verse 4, it is uncomfortable almost how much you'll see. But we're going to actually read all the way through to verse 19, and if you thought verses 4 through 7 were uncomfortable, well, you're about to be really uncomfortable because it really, I mean, it's it's such a short book. Now, again, I don't have time to go over all of this, but go back to verse 3 for just a moment. I titled the message this morning, Beloved versus Certain Men, okay? Because there's really two things here. One, he desired to write to the beloved, to those of us that are born again, and to speak to them about the common salvation. I simply wanted to write to you about how great our God is, about what it's like to be a new creature, about all the things that God is doing in your life. But the Holy Spirit made it clear to me that I needed to say to you, look, you got to be careful because there's wickedness all around you. There's false teaching everywhere. And there are people who are using the Word of God to say things that the Word of God does not say. And they add a little here and they take a little away here just so they can say whatever it is they want to. They focus on three or four verses in the entire Bible as if that was your whole Bible. Instead of, instead of allowing the Word of God to speak for itself, by itself, from cover to cover. And it's dangerous and it's deadly. And he says, I, it's important that you, he says at the end of verse 3, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, the gospel that was given, the same thing that is warned of earlier in the epistles where it says, if anybody comes to you with any other gospel other than has been preached, other than what is in the word of God, let them be anathema. If an angel came and said, no, no, I have something new for you, said, reject that. They don't have something new for you. We have the word of God and we trust the word of God. Amen. It's significant and it's important that we realize and recognize this. You say, well, how important is this? And it's so important that this is the, of the reality epistles. Put your, just put your finger here, flip back a handful of pages, and you'll find yourself in Hebrews. If you just turn back probably a dozen pages, maybe, you'll find yourself in Hebrews probably. Just keep backing up till you get there. So after Hebrews, if you just want to go to Hebrews 
and you come to the end of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, and then you see the book of James comes after that. So that's one book, right? James, and then there's 1 Peter, and there's 2 Peter, and there's 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, and Jude. All of, those, all of those books that I just made reference to are really the reality epistles, starting, by the way, with the book of Hebrews. This is, look, please hear me. The book of Hebrews cannot really be properly understood until you understand that what God is saying is all of the pictures and symbols in the Old Testament were just that, pictures and symbols. But Christ is the reality of all of that by himself. That's what the book of Hebrews is saying. What the book of Hebrews is saying is there is a real great high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for you and who by himself is now every day pouring out into your life a whole new quality of life, a completely new life. That's what Jesus is doing. That's our great high priest. Amen? Then starting in the book of James, what God says is this, do you have that high priest? Do you have that new life? And so starting in the book of James, and if you go back and read the book of James, the book of James is a very, how would you say this, a very cutting book against your flesh. It basically says, you're a jerk, you're a jerk, you're a jerk, you're a jerk, you're a jerk. Or you're being conformed to the image of Christ, one or the other. Or, and the, and, and the truth is this, both. You were, but you're being changed. Amen? Amen? And so we recognize that when we come into the book of James, you cannot come into the book of James without your great high priest changing your life. Now, I have in my notes here the outline that the Lord has given me for Hebrews through Jude. And it's a very simple outline. But what I've realized is that Hebrews is the promise of our great high priest mediating a whole new life for us. That's, that's what's happening in the book of Hebrews. And then if you take the, these epistles between James and Jude, there are two subsections to that. The first one is James and First and Second Peter. The second one is First John and then Second John, Third John, and Jude. And James and First John form a statement about our great high priest mediate a whole new quality of life. And this is those statements. In James, we find the promise of living our whole new life in our everyday life. And what a remarkable truth that is. What James is saying is this. Listen, listen. If Jesus is really your great high priest, your whole new life is not a Sunday morning thing. It's not even a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. If he's your great high priest, then he's mediating. And the, and the promise found in the book of James is that your and what it talks about is every aspect of everyday life being changed because your high priest is able to do so. That's what you see in the book of James. Now, when you go into first and second Peter, there are sub points being made about that. When you go to first John, what he says is this. Now, we have a promise of a life walking in light and in love. Now, what that means is this. Your whole new life is an everyday life. And in 1 John, your whole new life is a one walking in fellowship with God in love and in light. And it changes everything. And if you're honest, 
It changes everything. If you're not honest, you'll just pretend you have it. And that's our mistake. This is, this is your mistake. This is my mistake. And this is my mistake. For many years, I was aware of what God was wanting to do in my life, how much he wanted to do it, how much I wanted him to do it. And so what I would say was, you know what, Lord? You want this to be happening. I want this to be happening. So let's just say it's happening. And what God said is, well, you're not letting it happen. You're not letting it happen. I mean, you are a new creature. And you are being changed. But you're not being changed like I want to change you. But if you'd be honest, I'd be changing. You understand that? Your responsibility is not to change. Your responsibility is to be honest, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. His responsibility is to do the change. But he cannot change where you lie about what needs to be done or pretend about what needs to be done. And so what he wants you to understand is he wants to give you an everyday life that is walking in light and in love with God in fellowship with God. So here's what you can have. Every single day, every single day, including tomorrow morning when you wake up, you can say when you wake up, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and I'm going to walk with Jesus in light and in love. And you say, well, how exactly will that look? Go read 1 John, and you'll see how it looks. And what you'll realize is, I can't do this. No, not in your flesh you can't. You can't even come close to living like this. One of the things that you'll find about the reality epistles is the reality epistles do not half-step. They do not say, it should be a little bit more like this. They say, you should be like this. And if you're honest and say, but I'm not like that, then he says, okay, then I'll make you like that. But if you want to pretend that you are what you are not, then you force God to not be able to do what needs to be done in your life. Now, honestly, this is almost enough of a message right here. We could almost just end right there because every single one of you should say, I got to stop pretending that a change has been made where a change has not been made yet. I got to stop that. I got to stop hindering what God has the power to do in my life. Do you want to be a loving person? Do you want to be a loving person? Do you really want to walk in light? Do you want to walk in light? Do you want to walk in the truth? Do you want your life to be full of truth and love? Yes or no? Do you, do you, I mean, honestly, you have to decide. You know, it's interesting. The temperature is, is such outside right now that it's warm in this room. In a little while, the air condition, it, what happened is it was, it was cool this morning but so that the heat came on. So the room is warmed. I can tell because you guys are all like this. You guys are right at the 72.5 degree temperature. In just a moment, the air conditioner is going to kick on and it's going to cool you down a little bit and you'll fall asleep. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully you, hopefully you won't. I need you to understand. I need you to recognize how important what we're looking at is. I need you to realize that what God is saying is you really do have a great high priest who really is changing your everyday life, who really desires that you be able to walk with him every day in light and in love. Now, when you get to, to Jude, you have the promise of sanctification and preservation. In other words, what God, and this is the last thing before we get to the book of Revelation. What God is saying is this. This is really important. What he's saying is that, and he's going to say it both at the end of the first section. In other words, starting with James, first and second, Peter. So in second Peter, he's going to give us the same warning and the same promise that he gives us in Jude. Let me say that again. In second Peter, God gives us the same warning and the same promise that he gives us in Jude. The context is slightly different. And the central message to the book of 2 Peter is we have the promise of growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. The book ends, beware, beware, but grow. Beware, 
but grow. There is evil around you. There's false teaching. Beware, but grow. And this book is saying something very, very similar. And this is what it's saying. It goes a little bit further than beware, but grow. What it says is this. Be aware that there are people around you who are not what they pretend to be. And, and their end is damnation. But if you're beloved, if you're really a child of God, that's not your end. Because God will keep you. He will sanctify you and preserve you. That's the problem. Isn't that wonderful? Now, isn't that wonderful that that's the last promise before the book of Revelation? If you are really a child of God, no matter how evil it is about you, no matter how much confusion there is, no matter how much false teaching there is, if you'll just say yes to God, he'll keep you and take care of you. And you can have all the promises of walking in light and in love just by saying yes to God. Amen? That's a message. It really is the message. And so now what I want to do is to look a little bit at that. I have a great deal of things in my notes. I just realized James was, James was joking with me about how many pages I had in my notes and why did I ever bother to do that ever and then think I was going to get that far. Let's read this. And I, and I, and I, I, you know, I am confident this will be, how is this, informative. It might be convicting. I don't think it'll be fun. But I want you to know that before we read it. But we need this or it wouldn't be here. So let's go on to verse 8. John having read already to verse 7. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, what I want you to notice is this. These people who are going to church selfishly are comfortable finding fault. Notice what it says here. It says, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion. They do not like authority, any authority at all. And they speak evil of, evil of dignities, meaning they speak evil of people who have positions of authority. Now, let me tell you, how easy is it to speak evil of people in positions of authority in America today? How easy is it? It almost seems necessary, doesn't it? But you ought not, not only you ought not do it, the children of God are not supposed to be doing it. That's not why we're here. Do you understand? We, are, we misunderstand what the enemy is. We misunderstand who the enemy is. These lost people in positions of power are not your enemy. They're lost. And they need to be rescued from themselves, just like you needed to be rescued from yourself. And if we cannot lovingly pray for them and allow them to do terrible things and not respond poorly, we cannot help them. But I promise you, if we will be conformed to the image of Christ, we can help them. Because Christ could help them if they could be helped. You say, but what if they can't be helped? Then they can't be helped. But that doesn't mean you ever respond to them with the way that they respond to you, right? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with, right? If evil can't be overcome with good, then evil can't be overcome. But the answer can never be that we ourselves would act evil toward them because they have acted evil toward us. No, no, we are to turn the other cheek. We are to forgive 70 times. We are literally to be peacemakers on the planet. Now, the Bible's full in the book of Psalms of, of this kind of a statement, I am for peace, but they are for war. But that doesn't mean you stop being for peace. You say, I'm for peace, but they are for war. So I guess I should go ahead and get my sword. No, no. 
They may slay you, but you're not for war. You are going to, how does Stephen die, right? Stephen's arrested, brought in front of a, a religious authority, and they say, why are you saying what you're saying? And this is what he says, because Jesus is who he said he was. And you killed him. And they get so angry at him for saying that, that they do what? They kill him too. And when, he, and when they kill him, what does he say? What does he say? Lord, don't lay this to their charge. When they're judged in eternity for all the things that they do, don't let this one be one of the things that they get judged for. Forgive them for what they're doing to me. Now, who does that sound like? Right? Who, who does that sound like if not, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I do, I do not understand. Listen, I am, I am afraid for my brothers and sisters throughout America that we are losing sight about what matters. Though instead of living for the gospel and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're living for something having to do with politics. Listen, politics are not the answer. You understand that, right? It doesn't matter which, boy, some of you do. Amanda appears to, I think Chris did. Many, I'm telling you, some of you sitting where you are today really think that politics will rescue this country. The gospel will rescue this country. Or this country will not be rescued. Do you understand that? Either, either the gospel of Jesus Christ will do what it can do. And by the way, it can only be working where the children of God are denying themselves, taking up their cross, and following him. If we would go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, it says we will doubtless come again. Right? Rejoicing and doing what, by the way? Bringing our sheaves with us. In other words, there'll be fruit. And we will be involved in it. Now, again, Jesus will be the author and the finisher of it, but we will be involved in it, and we will rejoice in it, and it will be wonderful. But what is our responsibility? Listen, I know, I don't understand why. I don't understand why we resist this, because I promise you the Spirit of God inside you does not resist this. The, you, you may resist going forth weeping, bearing precious seed, but the Spirit of God inside you does not, does not wrestle with going forth weeping, bearing precious seed. He does not. The Holy Spirit in you is perfectly glad to live in you going into the world, watching and feeling your pain with you as you are rejected for loving a lost and dying world. But that's why we're here. That's why we're here. I'm going to go be with Jesus in just a little bit. You're going to go be with Jesus in just a little bit. Just like that, it's going to be over. We're here. It, literally, this, you know, um, it's good to have Philip home. Philip, it's good to have you home. Philip just came back from being away, deployed, right? We have a lot of military in our church. That means we have a lot of people who understand what it means to not be here, to be away. But guess what? When you go away, you have this going home, right? I remember six-month cruises that weren't six-month cruises. They started as six-month cruises. So you say, I'm going out. And by the way, I, I, I so hate the pier still. For a while, when I first became pastor, I'd go down to the pier back before when you still could and meet people coming back from cruises. And I didn't even like to go down then, even though they were coming home and it was a joyful time. I so hate, because I know what it means to walk down. And it almost seems to be raining every time you're getting on a ship to leave, right? Just miserable. And you're getting on that ship and you know you're going home. But at a certain point, you know this. Now I'm going back, right? I left to be on a mission but now I'm going where I belong. 
Amen? We're here. We're here on a mission. And it's longer than six months. It's longer than six months. It is. It's long. But life is but a vapor. Just like that, it'll be over. And while we're here, we're here. Why are we here? Two reasons. One, we are here to be witnesses unto him. And two, we are here so that he can use us to rescue others. Again, you're not rescuing anybody, but you can be the vessel that he uses to rescue others. Amen? We're here for two reasons. To give him glory here and now, and two, so that others can be rescued from themselves. Amen? And then we'll all go home. We'll all go home. And the Bible makes it very clear. The sufferings of this time will not be worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed, not to us, in us. We'll get there and we'll be like, oh, I could have done more. I was selfish. I was, I was petty. I was distracted. I, we don't have to be, praise God, because you, you have a great high priest. So here's what it says right here. It says, these people defiled the flesh, despised dominion, speak evil of dignity. It says, but when Michael, the archangel, now look, look up here. I don't know what authorities there are. I don't know what authorities there are in heaven. I really, really don't know what authorities are. I don't know what the rank and structure is. But it appears that Michael the archangel is just about as high, if not as high, as an angel can be. Does anybody, does anybody seem to understand that? In other words, Michael is not a grade B angel. And I hate to say to any angel that they're grade B. You know what I'm saying? But Michael is an archangel. He has complete authority. And he's come to get the body of Moses. Moses has died. He got to look into the promised land. He didn't get to go into the promised land. He died. And God said to, to Michael, go collect his body. Isn't that amazing? Go collect his body. And when he got there, Satan was already there. And Satan said, I'm going to take his body. And you know what Michael didn't do? Well, you dirty, rotten spirit, you liar and deceit. He didn't go into any rail at all. This is what he said. The Lord rebukes you. You can't have the body. God says, no. So you have to leave and I'm taking the body. That was the extent of his conversation. And we go on and on and on and on and on. What a jerk this person is. What a terrible boss I have here. What a horrible governor the state of Virginia has. On and on and on and on and on. And all and all Michael said was, the Lord says, no, you can't have the body. And he took the body. Tell me which one of us is in a better place. Verse 10 goes on and says, but these speak evil of those things that they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts... And those things, they corrupt themselves. And boy, now listen, listen, listen. This is not talking about the people that hang out in the bars on Friday night. And some of you, and I thank God that some of you don't know what that life is like. But some of us do know what that life is like. There's some terrible things that go on Friday and Saturday nights. You know, my mom used to say, nothing good happens after dark. Nothing good, and certainly nothing good happens after midnight. Yes? And I don't know that anything good in my life has ever happened after dark nor midnight, if you understand what I'm saying. But it says here, it says, these speak evil things they know not, but what they do know as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. Yeah, those people in bars on, on a Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning. No, these are churchgoers. These are people sitting in the pews. These are people who are abusing the grace of God in their life so that they can do things they ought not to be doing. And by the way, enticing you to be involved in it. It's okay. God says this is okay. It's not okay. Woe unto them. 
for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cori. These are spots. By the way, this word spot here, these means literally um, reefs. These are spots in your feast. What that means is this. These are just below the surface. They look good when you're looking at them, but they're going to make you have trouble. They're going to bring you to shipwreck. It says these are feasts in, these are spots in your feast of charity. In other words, when you're having fellowship and you're sitting down and you're enjoying time together. Listen to me. Look up here. Look up here. One of the things that this should say to every one of you is be very, very careful about what you say if you're sitting around a table with other Christians about what the Bible teaches or finding fault with whatever you heard. Now, this sounds very self-serving because I'm the pastor. You're sitting around and you're having your whatever, your you know, tea, and you're just talking. And it's like, yeah, did you hear what the pastor said? I don't know that I agree with what the pastor said about that. Seems awful restrictive to me. Yeah, mark that person. Because that's just selfishness right there. Do you understand? I'm not here to get you to do anything. I just want you to see how great Jesus is. But I want you to be very afraid of false teachers and of being a false teacher in any way. There's a passage, and we may look at it. I don't think it's going to come up in our sermon today. But it says, uh, be not many masters, for ours is the greater condemnation. In other words, you sure you want to be teaching children Sunday school? It's a great thing to teach children Sunday school. Do you have any idea how responsible you are when you're teaching children Sunday school or anything? Just sitting down with them and saying, thus saith the Lord. Well, you better be careful the Lord says that. Do you understand? I'm very, I have been preaching for many, many years. When I first started preaching, I was terrified. I'm just as terrified today that I would tell you anything that isn't what the Word of God says. Because it matters to you that I say what the Word of God actually says. But you know what? It matters to me more that I say what the Word of God actually says because I'm going to be held accountable for this. And so will you. It says these people don't care about that. They're spots of feast on your charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of the wind. Trees whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up from the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. As Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgments upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having a man's person in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which are spoken of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time and how, we should, and how they should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. And thank God it doesn't end there, amen? Honestly, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be terrible if the book just came to a conclusion? Again, I remember when I was a baby Christian, I used, to, I used to read a lot of Spurgeon sermons. And Spurgeon sermons are tremendous for two reasons. One, they take your flesh and they break your knees. And then they point you to Jesus. But he always pre seems to preach in that order. He starts out by showing you what a, what a jerk you are. And then when your knees are broken and you can't get up, he says, hey, now that you're down there, let me point you to Jesus. Amen? 
One day I made the mistake of reading half of a sermon because I was busy. And I spent all day with broken knees, not looking to see my Lord Jesus. See, because it doesn't end there. Notice how it's, what it says. It says, keep, it says, but ye beloved. Now, what I want you to notice is, remember, we started in verse 3 with beloved. Here we frame it in verse 20 with beloved again. But it says, but ye beloved. So in other words, there are those who are here this morning who are just the children of God who are not wanting to live selfishly, who are not hiding, if you will, in church. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. If, if, here's the truth. If you were here hiding in our church selfishly, I would ask you to leave if I knew it. Right? It says crept in unawares. Because if the pastors were aware, they'd say, you can't do that here. I've actually said very, very few times, I've been pastor, I've been in the ministry now for 20 years. I've said three times, as far as I know, three times, you can do whatever you want, but you can't do it here. You can do whatever you want, you can't do it here. And they said, you're not the one that rules my life. And I said, I'm not, but I'm the one that gives an answer for this church. And so you can't, I, I will oppose you. Now, if, if that person had said, well, I will challenge you, it's like, okay, fine, challenge me. We'll see, the church can keep you and get rid of me, I guess. You see what I'm saying? I have no interest in being in authority, the power, the one who says anything. I just want anybody to hurt you. And I don't want you to hurt each other. Amen? How, by the way, how much do you suppose any gossip or backbiting or any of that hurts everybody? You know what I'm saying? We can't, look, we don't, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. You can't be selfish. We can't hurt each other. There's a lost and dying world that we have to work together, right? The whole body is to be holding to the head, our Lord Jesus Christ, using all of us together. If we can't do it together, if you can't do it with this group of people, you should go find a group of people you can do it with. Because we must labor together. Do you understand? We are not sufficient for the, Even together, we're not sufficient. But we are what we're supposed to be when we're together. And our Lord is sufficient for these things. And he can use us together. Amen? But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Remember that faith once delivered unto the saints, back in verse 3. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Oh, how the world needs this. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And that is enough, isn't it? That's it. That's it. That's it. That's enough. That's enough for today. I, that's, that, was, that was literally page one. Honestly, it was. But I am so, I am so aware. I'm, I'm telling you. If you, if you want to study a subject and your method for studying a subject is to go to YouTube and Google your subject and then start clicking videos, you're an idiot. Because I promise you there's, there is more garbage than goodness on the Internet. If you want to know something, you really have a question, and you say, well, I can come, we could come ask you, Pastor, but there are two things wrong with that. And that is, one, you're really, really busy, and two, you don't know the answer to everything. And I would agree with both of those things. But I do know this. The same God that grew me up 
will grow you up. And here's what he will, God, he will use godly resources. I made reference to Spurgeon. I can make reference to dozens of good godly men, most of whom, by the way, are with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of whom was so concerned that he finished well that he refused to let anybody take anything that he'd ever taught or written and put it into book form until he died well. Now that's a godly man right there. Instead of saying, you know what, let's, let's put some of this in print and make me some money, you know, some good book. And besides that, it'll help people. He said, let's wait and see if I finish like I should. And if I finish like I should and any of you are moved to then do that, then you can go ahead and do that. That's a blessing to me. So one of the things that I do primarily is read what we would call non-living authors. Now, they are alive because they're in Christ, but they're not walking on the planet anymore. You want to know why? Because they finished well. Amen. And it really matters. And by the way, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm nervous, man. I'm nervous about what some of you guys think is teaching. I really am. Be careful. I'm telling you, be careful. Check with an older, godly, mature man or woman. And if somebody comes to see you and says, I have a question about something about that I might study, and you say to yourself, well, that makes me older. Well, it, might, it also seems to make you godly, okay? So, but if somebody needs, you know, let me say this. If you have a two-year-old, Talk to somebody who has a 12-year-old. You got questions about children? You got a two-year-old? Don't talk to somebody else that has a two-year-old. They don't know what they're doing. They're still making it up too, right? Go talk to somebody who has a 12-year-old. If you got a 12-year-old, go talk to somebody who is a 22-year-old and say, hey, when you were 12 and your parents did what, what worked? And if they're a godly 22-year-old, they'll say, I don't know, I was too busy being selfish most of the time. But apparently this was profitable to me. Amen. It really matters that we get help from it. Really, this is important. When I was a young Christian, everybody that I spent time with, other than just having fellowship and enjoying myself, everybody that I spent time with to study, to be around, were at least 10, 15 years older than I was. Because I didn't want to be like me. I wanted to be like them. Right. It's like, brother, you know, the deacons in my church, you're, you're a godly person. Can we go to lunch? Because I got a question and I don't have an answer to it. And I do know my Bible. Even as a baby Christian, I was very serious minded. I read my Bible all the time. But as the Ethiopian eunuch would say, if somebody doesn't show me, I'm not sure I'm going to understand this. Now, again, you have the Holy Ghost to teach you. But sometimes the Holy Ghost says, listen, I'm not, this is important. I'm not going to make you sufficient for yourself. You know what would happen if, if I had become sufficient in myself? Yeah, you all know, because you all have, just like me, I've been writing books. It's like, I know I'm only 23, but I'm a genius. Every question I have, I know the answer to, you know what I'm saying? And so God, the Holy Spirit says, you don't know the answer to these things. And it's like, but well, Lord, you can show me. I could just show you, but you couldn't handle it if I showed you everything. So I'm going to show your older brother or your older sister. They're going to show you. And then you know what you're going to be? Humbled by the fact you had to go ask them a question. Amen. And tell me humility is not necessary. It is. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together this morning. And Lord, bless us as we continue to go forward. Lord, I am so encouraged by what you show us in your word. I am thankful that you make it very clear here that you are able to keep us. You are able to keep us. You don't tell us to keep ourselves. You tell us to trust you. You tell us to look to you. You tell us to believe you at your word, and we have your word. Thank you so very much for this. Lord, please, please, please keep Tidewater Baptist Church 
from having people creeping in unawares. Lord, rebuke us whenever we're selfish. And if there be anybody here now that is here for selfish reasons, desiring to prove what they are instead of helping others to come to know Christ, Lord, either rescue them if they'll be rescued or remove them if they will not be rescued. Lord, it isn't a matter of being mean-spirited. It isn't a matter of not liking people. It's a matter of holding to what you tell us in your word. We want to walk in the light and love together with you together. Lord, we together as a unit want to walk with you in love and in light. That's what we want. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.